Good to see you this morning. Um, if you could turn to Hosea chapter 11. We're going to be in Hosea chapter 11 this morning. Um, returning to a series I've been preaching through. Uh, some people are really hoping I'll get to the end of this at some point. Not today, but it'll happen. It'll happen. So we're in Hosea chapter 11. And while you're going there, I have a question. Have you seen The Matrix? Okay. The, the answer is either yes or no. It's a... Okay. In The Matrix, it's an interesting film, but in The Matrix, there's a guy by the name of Neo, or Mr. Anderson, uh, depending on where you are, who finds out that the real world that he's believed has been the real world his whole life is actually a computer program. And that he can get stuff loaded into his head through a computer. And so at one point in the film, he says, I know Kung Fu. With precisely that inflection. It was, it's kind of cool. And then his teacher, mentor, a guy named Morpheus, comes in and says, okay, show me. And then they get into a fight and... You know, uh, Neo is using all his ma- amazing kung fu moves in the false computer program that, is, that he's found out isn't really reality, but he believes has been reality his whole life. And he keeps losing. And so Morpheus asks him, uh, says, do you think that this has anything to do with your muscles or your speed or your skill? And then he asks, asks this one iconic line, Do you think that's air you're breathing? The fact is, Neo, or Mr. Anderson, had not fully understood what had changed in his universe. He didn't understand quite yet what reality was. And because he hadn't understood what reality is, he was suddenly very limited in what he could do and what he could say and what he could what he could achieve as a person. Neo needed to understand the truth. A truth that everything around him seemed to say wasn't true. Things that would be kind of counterintuitive to him normally. And yet he knew for a fact that the deliverances of his senses were lying to him that he was believing things that were wrong. And he knew that at some level, but he was still living in the world as if, well, as if, it, as if what was actually a delusion was reality. I bring this up because it's a problem that generally speaking, we as Christians have fairly regularly. We have a knowledge of who God is, We have a knowledge of what sin is. We have a knowledge of the results of both obedience to God and rebellion to God. And yet, we act in ways that are different from what you'd expect if if we actually believe the truth. It's kind of like we have a head knowledge of what the truth is. And yet, our lives show something that make it seem that we don't understand. It's like we really do believe that's air you're breathing, to use the analogy. And that's a problem that you see in Hosea throughout it. 
The fact is the people of Israel are living in a world that they think they understand, and they don't. And that's why God has sent prophets. The first that we see listed in our Bibles is Hosea. He's the first of what we call the minor prophets. God has sent these minor prophets to remind Israel of what the world is really like. The universe that God has created, this is what it really looks like. This is the way it functions, even though you don't believe that right now. And how do I know you don't believe that? You act like you don't believe that. And so that's what we see in Hosea chapter 11. It goes, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke of their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. And now here's a verse we saw a few moments ago. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath." They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Yet Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and with deceit, the house of, and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. This is just one more chapter in what I've been kind of showing you throughout the book of Hosea. There are two major truths you see in Hosea over and over and over again. And it, it looks like they're two really, really divergent points. One, God loves his children. That's pretty clear throughout Hosea. And second, sin brings death. Now I have to be clear here. When, you, when I say sin brings death, I'm not merely saying that the natural consequences of sin is death. That's true. But I'm also saying that God has a settled hatred, wrath, distaste for evil. God hates evil. 
God will punish evil. Now, so I say that because that gets us to a point where we understand a little bit what the tension is here because Hosea also kind of has a third meta point here. God loves his children, sin brings death, and he has wrath on sin, and they're the same thing. They fit together perfectly. And if you want to read really, really long books that try to make, it, make sense of that, I got a ton of them. Because that is really, really hard to get. The wrath of God and the love of God are not enemies. They work together. They're strongly intertwined. And everything in what we're saying, what we believe, what we see in the world around us, wants us to believe that that's not true. I mean... I don't know about you, but when you go out into the world and you say, you hear about what people talk about when they talk about love, they almost never mention wrath. And I have to say, I live in the same culture, so I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. And yet, we see repeated over and over again in Hosea, and honestly throughout the Bible, these two truths and it's chapter 11 is just one more permutation of this. It explains it even more clearly because if you read Hosea chapter 11, if you were listening closely instead of still looking for the cha- chapter, you heard that, there was, that it almost seemed kind of dipolar there. You know, at one point it's saying, I will punish them, they will go to, uh, they will go to Assyria. And then it says, and I w- won't come to them in wrath and I will call them from their lands and I will bring them together and I will return them to their homes. Those seem very, very different. I mean, maybe I'm alone in that, but they seem very different to me. And yet, and yet we see throughout the scriptures, not only that these two things work together, but that there's a, a beauty behind it, a truth behind it that we need to know, to understand to live as believers, to place our faith fully in Jesus Christ, we need to understand these two truths really, really well and understand that they're one real truth based in the love of God. So first of all, let's deal with Israel, as it says here in Hosea. First of all, I want to tell you that sin kills, and it says that in the text here. I'll say it a little bit more widely Israel's rebellion to God bears in it the seeds of Israel's destruction. Now, I'm saying something a little bit more nuanced than saying that sin kills, but this is what it's saying in Hosea 11. What I'm saying is that God's wrath is already working out in the people of Israel. What Hosea is talking about has already begun as they sin. It says, and notice the tense here, the sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. Notice, it's a future tense. When Hosea is saying this, this hasn't happened yet. 
And yet God is saying it as if this is a sure thing. This is what's going to happen. And why is it going to happen? Because they have rebelled against God. And as we learned this morning in Sunday school, rebellion to God is sin. So when the destruction is coming, it's because of sin, it's because of their rebellion to God. And lest you be, you know, kind of liking the people of Israel, notice that the sin that he's talking about isn't just a put-on. It isn't something that we're just imagining happened. Verses 1 and 2. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Yet the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. And it continues on talking about how much God has done loving things, and yet the people of Israel have worked hard to run against God. Their sin is not, it's not delusional. It's not something that they haven't been doing. It just isn't a mere difference of opinion. They have clearly sinned against God, and they should know it. They don't seem to, but they, they should. But second of all, that rebellion leads to destruction. That what happens is going to kill them. They will be removed. Again, my people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. They they are in wrath. And that isn't just some kind of thing whereby, I don't know, the sin naturally kills. It's God doing this. God is bringing punishment against their sin. And it's not just some kind of imagined thing where they simply act and God responds. Their actions bear within it the seeds of the destruction. Why will they go to Assyria? Because down in, ver- uh, down in verse, chapter 12, verse 1, they make a covenant with Assyria. God is saying that because they have relied on things that are other than him, okay, I'll hand you over to those things. That's how his wrath is going to work here. Sin kills. In the midst of the paltry, transitory joys of sin. And they were getting joys out of it. They thought that they had security out of the sin that they were doing with their help with Assyria. And yet, sin itself has within it the seeds of destruction. It's joyful, enjoyable for a season, but it will destroy. And Hosea is clear. If, as they embrace the sin they embrace the seeds of destruction. That's what it is to embrace sin, to embrace destruction. As the Bible says, and Shawshank Redemption had on his wall, judgment cometh, and that right soon. It will happen, and it's clear. And yet, and yet the second truth of Hosea is also true. God loves his people, and we see that in the text. 
God builds redemption out of the ashes of Israel's destruction. Notice first, God's love is clear and present. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That's, he says that first. And yet it continues. How can I give you up? Down verse 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? And how can I hand you over, O Israel? These are the sinning peoples that, are, that he's saying this about. God's affections haven't changed. Though things in this world change, though everything we see in this world changes, it's clear that God's love is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even though they're, in, they're under wrath, even though they're sinning, again, my head kind of chafes at this. There's something going on here that's kind of rubbing against each other, it feels like. The moment of destruction is after the beginning of his redemption. Verses 10 and 11, look at this. He shall go, they shall, this is being said before the punishment has started. And this is what's going to happen after the punishment. They shall go after the Lord, he will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. So not only has God prepared and purposed to follow through with their destruction because of the sin that they've embraced, he's also purposed that his redemption will begin here too. Again, before any of this happens, God is telling his people through his prophet what's going to happen. And both are working through before this. God has already purposed to redeem his people Israel before the punishment comes to pass. In the seeds, in the ashes of destruction, Israel's redemption is already there. But in the midst of their, their sin, the seeds of destruction are also there. God will redeem his people Israel. That's the clear statement of Hosea chapter 11. Now, as good, good exegetes and good people who have read their Bibles a couple of times, we know that this is written to Israel. Uh, are any of us Israelites here? Didn't think so. I mean, I, I, my, my passport says Canada. So what? Good for Israel, I guess. Seems that way, huh? I've already read it a couple of times. Did you notice the, verse, the first verse of Hosea chapter 11? You've probably heard it a couple of times before. When Israel was a child, I loved him. But here's the part you've heard before, if you've read the Gospels. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, where did that show up elsewhere? Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And this is talking about Joseph. Joseph is uh, right now with his, ki- with his wife and child. Uh, the Herod has begun to purpose to destroy uh, the coming king of Israel, Jesus Christ. 
And Joseph, Joseph does this. He rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This is to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Hmm. You see, I always hated that verse. I'll give you a very simple reason why I did. When I first became a Christian, I read my Bible. That's one of the things that you do when you first become a Christian. And one of the things that always drove me nuts about the Gospels is that they keep quoting the Old Testament. And when I figure out where that is in the Old Testament, I go back to the Old Testament and I read it. And it looks like that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. And Hosea chapter 11 was one of those places. Because in Hosea chapter 11, it's talking a lot about Ephraim and Zeboim and Adma. It's talking an awful lot about Assyria and Egypt. But it's talking about the people of Israel. Does it talk directly about Jesus Christ? Maybe not. But if I'm right, if Hosea 11 makes these two claims, first of all, that destruction is part of sin, that if you embrace sin and destruction, you will be destroyed. If you embrace it, it kills. And God has already begun the work of redemption Well, how do those fit together? You see, I always thought Matthew was trying to give me examples as to why I should believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I actually think I misinterpreted there. You see, I think what Matthew is trying to tell you, and it it takes a little bit of thinking here because we live in the world where we quote individual Bible verses and imagine that that's all that the Bible verse says. Most people in history before they became literate and could look these things up on Google, would remember large swaths of Scripture. I mean, you have to remember that the Old Testament wasn't given verse numbers until much, much, much later. Much later than Matthew got written. So people, when they were referring to things in the Old Testament, they weren't just referring to that little line. They were referring to the section because people would know what that section was. They'd have an idea about what Hosea said and what was going on. And remember the situation that I explained to you in Matthew. The King Herod is destroying things around him. He's embracing sin and it's bringing destruction. People are thinking, wow, this Herod guy, he's probably gonna rule and win out over this, this tiny baby with a single mom and a, and a godly guy helping him out. And yet, call to mind Hosea, a time when the people of Israel had decided that they were going to follow sin. And yet they would face destruction because of that sin. And even in the midst of that, even in the midst of the destruction that was spoken against them, redemption was coming. 
Maybe that's what you see in Matthew chapter 1. Maybe that's what Matthew is telling us. In the time of Jesus, when Herod seemed powerful, when sin seemed like it would rule. No. Sin will destroy itself. When it seemed like there was no redemption possible, when it seemed like there was no way God could redeem this situation, no, the redemption has already begun. Out of Egypt I have called my son. You see, it's not about making sure that you understand that, this, that Jesus uh, fits all of the prophecies exactly. It's that all of the things that you see prophesied are true in Jesus. You see, there is an answer to the question, how does the love of God and his settled wrath against sin how they become one thing. That's Jesus. Sin is punished. Make no mistakes, brothers and sisters. If you will embrace sin, it will destroy you. In a fight between you and God, you lose. And that destruction has already begun if you are embracing your sin. But at the same time, in the midst of your destruction, as the ashes begin to fall on the sin that is in your life, know this, the redemption has already been paid for. God is already working in your life to redeem the situations you were in. And they find their unity in Jesus Christ. Sin still kills. Rebellion to God bears in itself the seeds of its own destruction, which has two implications. Implication one, evil doesn't win. As much as we imagine that, you know, the world is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and eventually, you know, Christians are not going to be able to speak about Jesus Christ, that may happen. But ultimately speaking, evil does not win. And so it's a mistake to side with evil. And I, I have to say this because... I'm forced by the word. I apologize for this because people don't like it when I say this. But if we embrace sin, we will be destroyed by sin. Yeah, you probably should be silent at that point. Because that... Because I know there's sin in my life. I know that there are things that I struggle against that I find it difficult to win against. And yet, it's so tempting for me to give up, to just knuckle under to my temptations to sin and pretend that it's not important and it doesn't matter. 
Well, it matters because God is settled against sin and evil. We can't embrace it. And if we do embrace it, we will be burned. You can't hold fire on your lap and not be burned. That's just the way it is. We have to turn away. So flee evil. Flee sin. (laughs) There's no reason to stay with it. And second of all, God loves his people. The ruin of sin of God's people has the seeds of God's redemption built in. Do you think God has forgotten you while you were lost in your sin and death? He began your redemption at the beginning of time. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ went to the cross for the sins of the whole world, he didn't forget about you. Friends, there's, there's every reason to flee sin, but we have a place to flee too. The redemption is already working in your life. If you're here this morning listening to a crazy bald guy tell you about God, God intended that. Do you think he's surprised? Do you think he didn't know what was happening? Do you think that's air you're breathing? He knew your life. He knew where, where he would call you. He knew that he would bring you here this morning to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, your redemption has already begun. All you need to do is turn from your sin, trust in Jesus, and live. We know that this is true because that's what the gospel is. I mean, we sang songs all morning about it. We prayed prayers about it. In a few minutes, we're going to commemorate it with the blood and body of Christ in the symbolized in communion. We're going to do this. This is what the gospel is. Not waiting. God did not wait for you to offer your best to him, which to be honest, isn't all that impressive anyway, to save you. He did it while we were at our worst. Knowing full well that when he died, all of our sins were in the future. And he knew them all. And died for them all. And paid for them all. And rose again so that you might know it's finished. I'll talk about that in a few weeks. Knowing the ruin that sin would make of us, God laid the foundation of our redemption. As always, the Bible puts it better, and sorry, I'm not sorry for being repetitive here. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up For us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? 
It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things past, present, nor past, nor to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. Amen. Flee sin. Flee to the cross of Christ. Flee the destruction of sin. Turn to Christ even now. Let the redemption that has already begun continue. He calls us out from sin. He calls us out from self-imposed exiles in sin. Out of Egypt, he called his son. Out of Egypt, he calls those who would be adopted as sons in him. His redemption is prepared. Just as out of Egypt, he called his son, he calls us. A preparation he made for us. He makes for us. He will make for us in Jesus Christ. Friends, it's time to leave sin. Let's pray. Lord God, again, I pray that this sermon will have been much better than the one I preached. Lord God, I pray that by your spirit, you've been working in people's hearts and minds. Lord God, this is your world. We are your people. Let us turn to you in faith. As we pray in Jesus' name.